Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Guess what day it is? Huh? Hump day! Good morning and happy hump day. Happy Wednesday, Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. That is Michelle Smallman. I am Randy Carriker, and it's great to have you with us. And Michelle, it is just a magnificent Wednesday morning. Yes, it is, Randy. Good morning, St. Louis. As you're making your coffee and you're rubbing your eyes, no, it's not a dream. You are fully awake. Your St. Louis Cardinals have won 10 games in a row. Randy, ESPN Stats and Info just put this out. Remember back in August when we didn't think this team really had a chance? Yeah. So on August 8th, the Cardinals playoff odds were 1.3%. 1.3% on August 8th. Adam Wainwright may have told us that. I believe I believe we talked to him about that, and he likes things like that. They were just less than 5% two weeks ago. After this 10-game win streak, 89% chance to make the playoffs. I would say that it's higher. With all due respect to ESPN, my math is even better because I have if the Cardinals get to 87 wins by playing 500 ball, if they go 6 and 6 the rest of the way, to get to 87 wins, the Cincinnati Reds who are 78 and 74 would have to go 9 and 1. This is if the Cardinals play 500. Mm -hmm. The Philadelphia Phillies who are 77 and 74 to get to 87 and 75 would have to go 10 and 1. And the San Diego Padres who are at 76 and 74 to get to 87 wins would have to go 11 and 1. So if the Cardinals play 500 ball, Reds 9 and 1, Phillies 10 and 1, Padres 11 and 1. I can tell you this, Reds, Phillies and Padres are not going 9 and 1 or 10 and 1 or 11 and 1. And the Cardinals very well could go 500 against the Cubs of whom they have 7 games and the Brewers against whom they have 3 left. Randy, I'm not so sure this Cardinals team will ever lose another game. No, they might not. Yeah, five <laughs> left, by the way, against the Brewers. They might just ride this thing out till the end. It's unbelievable. And last night, an unbelievable 2-1 win. Uh, sacrifice fly as the Cardinals take the lead in the first inning, as they seem to do every night. Tyler O'Neill with the sack fly. Jake Woodford turned in a very solid performance, goes five innings. He allows two hits, but no runs, struck out five, and walked one. Reyes came on with a scoreless inning. Cabrera came on with a scoreless inning. Garcia came on with a scoreless inning. And before Garcia got his, the Cardinals got another run, courtesy of Tommy Edmond. Who had... A base hit. Count of one ball and one strike on Tommy Edmond. Edmond hits it the other way. That's a base hit. Here comes Newfar. Edmond to second. He'll stop. Wide turn around first. Back in safely. 2 nothing. St. Louis. That's
that, of course, in the top of the eighth. In the bottom of the eighth inning, a sack fly by Willie Adamas makes it 2-1. And we go, Michelle, to the bottom of the ninth. And we're feeling pretty good with uh, Gallegos on the mound and the Cardinals leading by a score of 2-1. But... Avisail Garcia singles. Lorenzo Kane grounds into a fielder's choice. Thought the Cardinals had a double play. Don Denkinger type call. Terrible. But on replay, which they have now, yes. the runner at first called safe. So Lorenzo Kane is the runner at fa- first. Jose Urias walks. And we're saying, I-, I text you guys. Are you nervous? And uh, you guys are both yeah, a little bit nervous, but loving it. My heart was beating out of my chest. You would have thought that this was a playoff game. <laughs> I was that nervous. It, it felt, you would have thought it was a playoff game. It felt that way. Manny Pena flies out. Lorenzo Kane moves to to third and so you have runners at first and third and that runner at first is the winning run with two out Christian Yelich left-handed hitter coming up and Mike Schilt gives a signal for an intentional walk we say wait 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 what wait he's putting the winning run at second base you know listen guys in scoring position at first base with a guy like Yelich um, he's been in that moment quite a bit um, and Trusted Geo. Here's a strike thrower. He's got um he's got some serious guts, as this entire team does. But he's got some serious guts and I trust him to those strikes and I like clearly like the matchup better um, with the guy on deck. Okay, you're nervous. Cardinals up by a score of two to one. The bases are loaded, there's two out, and Pablo Reyes is at the plate. Dan McLaughlin on the call for Bally Sports. The two-two. They strand the bases loaded. And for the first time since the 2001 season, the Cardinals have won 10 in a row. It took some guts to do that. It took some guts to walk Yelich, but you do like that matchup better. You do like Reyes versus Gallegos better. But you have, what do they say, Randy? Scared money don't make money. Sometimes you have. Somebody said that famously. Somebody did say that famously. Sometimes you have to make a scary move in order to get in a favorable situation. If it didn't work out, we would be talking about it differently today. But I still, even if it it didn't work out and the Cardinals end up losing that game, I do like that matchup better. And I do like Mike Schilt managing aggressive. I like him managing to win win the game rather than to not lose the game. Michelle, we are sitting here in 2021, eight years after the fact, Still lamenting the fact that the Cardinals pitched to Big Poppy. Correct. You pick out a guy on the opposition that you say, that guy is not going to beat me. Regardless of the year he's having, Christian Yelich, especially with his history against the Cardinals in that ballpark, that's my guy that doesn't beat me. And I thought Mike Schilt made the absolute perfect move in walking him. And I'm like you. If it doesn't work out and Pablo Lopez or Pablo Reyes winds up beating you or getting the tying run in, you just tip your cap and say, okay, Good work, but at least I didn't let Christian Yelich beat me. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I don't. And why'd you have to bring up the poppy thing, Randy? I mean, we're, we're right in high 10 game wing street, but your point is well taken. Yeah, you don't want to let an MVP type caliber player at any point in his career in Christian Yelich beat you. And that's the type of moment that a player like Christian Yelich would beat you. And I, I just can't even believe what this team has been able to do. We all thought that they had the ability to be better and I don't know if anyone outside of the clubhouse thought that they were capable of this of a 10 game win streak and they're they're proving now that they definitely belong in the postseason conversation because the Reds, the Padres, the Mets, they all had something to play for. They're all in a race but they all have their issues. You come out and you beat the Brewers twice in their house 
you're, you're proving that you're a team that should be taken seriously yeah. and that you're a team that can be dangerous in the playoffs. And everything falling the Cardinals' way, pretty much the Reds lose again to the Pirates. Unbelievable. The Phillies did score late. Uh, RBI double and RBI double for JT Real Muto in the bottom of the 10th, and they beat the Orioles 3-2. to two. And the Padres lost again, this time to the Giants, by a score of 6-5. to five. So the Cardinals do have a good, solid four-game lead in the wild card race. And Michelle, with this 10-game winning streak, and with the Cardinals having that percentage of making the playoffs, I'm thinking that John Mozeliak deserves maybe a few apologies. I think it's time for the apology tour. I really do, Randy. We've been hard on Mo in this town. He went out and he acquired Nolan Arenado. Great, right? But I think a lot of people have been very down on him for essentially the entirety of this season. And today we're going to open it up. Today's the day that you can send some flowers, maybe a handwritten note, an edible arrangement if you want. But it's time to apologize to Mo. Yeah, and I I think we should start. And I think we should be honest with our feelings here. And we should... Probably, as you say, send some bouquets Moe's way. Okay, well, if this is a safe space, I'd like to go first. It is a safe space, Because I've said some things I'd like to take back, right? Mm -hmm. All right, well, if I'm going to apologize to someone, you need to speak to them directly. So, Moe, I know you're listening. Hey, uh, first first and foremost, congratulations on the 10-game winning streak. Unbelievable. Really impressed with this team, Moe, and impressed with the way that you constructed it. The Happen Lester acquisitions... Looking like it's brilliant. Getting Arenado from the Rockies and having them foot some of the bill, that's genius. But listen, Mo, I know we had some conflicting viewpoints on the outfield. It wasn't that I didn't believe in O'Neill, Bader, and Dylan Carlson, because you know I did. You know I did, Mo. But when Randy Rosarena becomes the best hitter on the planet, possibly the universe, last postseason, I may have said some things that I'd like to retract. I was just, I was tired of the outfield turnstile. And Randy A is slashing 377, 429, 831. He hit 10 home runs. I was upset. I was upset. He looked like a combination of Babe Ruth and Jesus, okay? But (laughs) now, Mo, I see the error of my ways. The outfield has shown what they're capable of. Tyler O'Neill is a stud. He's got the power, the defense, the wheels. He's incredible. Bader is giving you a lot of electric plays. He's really come into his own. Dylan Carlson, he doesn't look like a rookie. He's a difference maker, and I can't wait to watch him become a cornerstone of this team. But... Mo, you've proven you're smart, I'm dumb. You're big, I'm small, Mun. You're right, I'm wrong. I'm sorry, Mo. I'm Getting sorry. Getting choked up here. You know what? At least he's he's got the feels, Michelle. Okay. But I am. I'm sorry. Sorry for what I said. Mo, I'm sorry that I only gave your team a 1% chance of making the playoffs. I was kind of like fan graphs. And this was even after you had made the trades for John Lester and Jay Happ. And you had made the pickups of TJ McFarland and Luis Garcia. And I came on these very airwaves and I said, this team can't win with this pitching. In a sport that is about pitching, the Cardinals tried. Sure, they tried Woodford. Sure, they tried Oviedo. Sure, they tried Daniel Ponce de Leon. But you weren't good enough. And I said that the Cardinals evaluation process was off and something needed to change in the evaluation process. I said, this is a serious problem and the Cardinals need to make personnel changes within the evaluation system. Then you go out and you pick Luis Garcia up off the scrap heap from the Yankees. You go out and get an Oriole, a Baltimore Oriole, TJ McFarland, and turned him into a left-handed relief star. You go out and get two guys that I thought were washed up in John Lester, who the Cubs didn't want anymore, and the Cubs were pretty good at evaluating talent. 
And Jay Happ, who didn't get signed until right before spring training. And I'm thinking, okay, you're just wasting my time here. You're wasting my time and yours by picking these guys up. All you're going to get out of these guys is an abused five innings, which you would have gotten out of the other guys, but you just didn't want to destroy young guys. So if you've got guys that are going to be abused for five innings, why not make it old guys that have been through the wars before? Mm-hmm. Well, I was wrong. Well, you picked up guys that can pitch and the most important commodity in the sport is something that you can evaluate, that your people do well, that you can find and take off the scrap heap and turn into stars. So because of the fact that, Mo, I gave you only a 1% <laughs> chance of making the playoffs, and now you're going to make the playoffs, I'm sorry. And the great thing about Randy is he's smart, he's open-minded. I, I really don't believe that. I don't think that... That's really how Mo feels, Michelle. I, as a matter of fact, I kind of think there's probably a little bit of anger there. Do you think so? No. I think that he's probably smiling today. He's in a good mood. His team just won 10 in a row. All of his moves are playing out perfectly. I think that he may be open to this. Well, as they say, never get mad, but never forget. <laughs> Ooh. I didn't, know, I didn't know Mosellac was Italian. <laughs> He's got it in him. He's got a list. (laughs) We want your mic drops with the Rhino Shield mic drop. And as Michelle said, this is a safe space. This is the John Mosellock Apology Tour on Carriker and Smallman. You can send in your text later in the show. We'll be doing this throughout the course of the day. But, yeah, he was right. They were right. We were wrong. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, it's a Wednesday tradition. It's Ask Uncle Randy. You got a wedding coming up? You getting involved in a relationship? Maybe you got some in-law issues. Maybe the in-laws are in town from far, far away. And you have some questions about how you can handle the situation. Well, you can do so by asking Uncle Randy. The text line open, 65780. The Air Comfort Service text line. You are next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Glad you're listening. Glad you're with us on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy, and we appreciate your text to the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780 because we've got Ask Uncle Randy, and Michelle has your questions for me. Michelle, take it away. This is a very important one, and you are the perfect person to answer this, Randy. All right. So from the 573, Dear Uncle Randy, 12 days ago I last shaved. Then the Cardinals won the next night, then the next day, and the next day, and so on and so on. Who knew they wouldn't lose again? The thing is starting to itch. It's starting to be uncomfortable. I'm ready to shave, believe me, but I don't want to bring bad luck to my Cardinals. Uncle Randy, what do I do? You take one for the team, and that beard continues to grow until the Cardinals lose a game. You absolutely don't worry about the discomfort. You don't worry about itching. You don't worry about appearance. You just keep that thing going because that is the reason that the Cardinals are on a 10-game winning streak. It's only weird if it doesn't work, and clearly it's working. So you just keep that beard going, and thank you very much for asking because those are important questions, Michelle. There's no doubt that the things that we do are what determines the success or failure of our particular team. And did, did our 573 give a name? No. Okay, well, congratulations on setting the Cardinals off on their 10-game winning streak. We appreciate you sacrificing for the greater good. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate 
your axe here and helping the Cardinals win. It's been a fun ride, but under no circumstances can you shave. No. And by the way, uh, we're counting on a playoff beard from you. If they lose between now and October 3rd or October 4th, you shave. But then that day before, uh, the Cardinals will start or they'll play their wild card game on the Wednesday, which is the 6th. Uh, you don't shave on the morning of the 6th, and then if the Cardinals are in the playoffs, you keep that playoff beard going. That's right. From Oh, and a lot of people texting in saying beard conditioners might help. Okay, good call. Yeah, so glad. go out there and purchase something to help with the itching, yeah. maybe. Yeah, glad we have help there because I... I can't even grow a beard. I my my I don't have like an Al Roboski type growth pattern that allows me to grow a one foot long beard overnight. <laughs> okay, so the next one Or Pat Maroon for that matter. Yeah, that's a good that's a good beard. From the six three six, dear Uncle Randy, if you have an adult son or daughter that needs to come live with you for a while and you have no pets in your apartment, but they have two big dogs, is it wrong to say you are welcome but your dogs are not? Not in an apartment, and the rules change for a home, but if you have an apartment, then by definition, it's probably pretty small, and you don't have a backyard to put the dogs outside, and they're big dogs. No, they're going to have to either find another place to live, or at least for the time being, while they move in with you, find another place for the animals to live. And I know that's tough. If, if I were in that situation as the youngster that's moving back in with the parents, I'd find another place to live. But I don't think that is an unreasonable point to make. And it's not an ask, that's a demand if you have an apartment. I would feel differently if it was a house. Yeah, two big dogs in an apartment, that could be tough. Yeah. Oh, man, that's a very tough decision to make, though. If you're the well, son or daughter and you need some place to live, but you don't want to be away from your animals, that's that's a really tough one. Yeah. So what you have to do is find your own place or find somebody to crash with. Hey, right. can, me, can me and my dogs come and crash? They're really sweet, I promise. Yeah. Sure, yeah, no problem. We're only going to stay here until I get another place. Okay, no problem. A year later. A year later. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Randy, this one is interesting. From the 314, Dear Uncle Randy, how do you cure a Wednesday hangover? Uh, I have not historically been a big drinker, so I will defer to my partner, Michelle Smallman, here. Okay. Uh, Listen, 314, there's, there's only one thing that you need to do. Today for lunch, you need to do this. And listen very closely. You need to get an Italian sub. Get some salt and vinegar chips or the chips of your choosing. Okay, Italian sub. Like if we go to Joya's Deli over here. Yeah, get a hot salami or you could go to Potbelly. The Wreck is always a fan favorite. Good call. You need to get an Italian sub. You need to get some chips, preferably with salt. And then this is very important. You need to get a root beer, but it has to be a fountain root beer or one out of a glass bottle. Cannot be out of a plastic bottle. You need that carbonation, preferably fountain over ice. And that's going to cure everything because you've got your bread. That's going to soak everything up. The salt, that just adds something. It helps you when you're a hangover. Maybe, you know, the electrolytes that you've lost, the salt is coming back in. I don't really know the science behind it. But all I can tell you is that the key to everything is a root beer. Okay, so Italian sub, salt and vinegar chips, root beer, right here at Pop Belly uh, in Creve Corps, right by us. We're at 11647 Olive Boulevard, and it's practically, well, it is next door. So, yeah, make that play. Now, if you have... The early morning hangover, uh, we've heard about, for example, the Bloody Mary. Does that work as a benefit at all early in the morning? 
Well, I wouldn't say on a Wednesday because okay. you're likely going to work. Okay. So I don't know if I would advocate See? a little hair of the dog before you go into the office. Okay. So we're just, we, we got to deal with it for the morning then is what you're saying. And yeah. then hopefully an early Coffee lunch. in the morning. Okay. For sure. For sure. That'll help cruise you through. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. From the 636, your Uncle Randy, I have a first date on Friday. She's super pretty. Any advice? Okay. Uh, number one, obviously, you want to make sure that she is exceptionally comfortable. So make sure that when you pick her up, the car is clean. Make sure that uh, maybe even get one of those little Febreze things that you put on the uh, on your air conditioner vent. Makes your car <laughs> smell better. Uh, and... Dress nice. I would don't. Okay, you can never. You can be overdressed for a first date because she might not be dressed to the nines. But I would say don't go jeans. Go khakis or something like that with a button-down shirt and look nice and get a haircut on Friday before the first date. Yeah, and also she may be super pretty, but don't think about how pretty she is. Go in there with confidence. You know, right. don't, don't, it sounds like if you're leading with that, you might be a little intimidated by the way that she looks. But don't be. Mm-hmm. Go in with confidence. She's going out with you for a reason. She likes you. She wants to get to know you. Right. And another recommendation that I would have is don't overplay your hand on a first date. Don't take her to a really expensive restaurant. Take her to a moderately priced or even a lower price, you know, more casual restaurant because... Many times what will happen, and you can say, uh, help me out from the female perspective here, is that if you wind up going to Paul Mano's on a first date, she's going to think, is it always going to be like this? You want to you be casual. You want to be able to have a, a normal, casual conversation over dinner. Yeah. Sometimes when you go to a really fancy place on a first date, the expectations can feel high on yeah. both sides. Um it's beautiful outside. Go sit outside. Great go place. have some margaritas outside. Find a, yeah, go to a great place with a patio. Yeah, for sure. But have fun. Most importantly, have fun. Yeah, smile. Smile a lot. <laughs> uh, another female-related question okay. from the 314. Dear Uncle Randy and Aunt Michelle, I see the same beautiful gal every day on my walk home from work. This just reset. We walk past each other. Every day, and I want to ask her name and see if she wants to grab a drink, but I don't want to come off as a creep. Do you know how to approach this situation? Smile at her, first of all. Say hi to her. If you are in the same neighborhood and you've seen each other multiple times, introduce yourself and say, hi, I live in place X. Don't ask her where she lives. Say, I live over here. My name is, and then that's a natural. If you just introduce yourself, obviously you live in the same neighborhood. Same, I've seen you around. My name is Randy. I live over here. Yeah, if you that's see you if do. you see her every day, just acknowledge that you see yeah. her every day. Just yeah. be like, "Hey, neighbor. Hey, walking buddy. See you every day." Yeah, you know, just open with something like that. Yeah, and, and smile. But that, that's the thing. So many of us, a, don't smile. Smile, and the world will smile with you. So that's one thing. When you see somebody, wow. smile, right? And like then the other thing is, is if you've seen each other around, don't hesitate to actually use your words. Smile and the world will smile with you. Yep. Amazing. We smile on this show, right? We probably smile too much on this <laughs> show for some people. Um, from the 314, Uncle Randy, Michelle, I'm going to Boston this weekend for the first time for the Mizzou game. Ah, Any nice. bars and or restaurants that are a must try? Okay. Depending on how old you are, one of my favorite all-time shows was Cheers. 
And the real name of Cheers is Bull and Finch in Boston. So you can hop in any cab and say, hey, take me to Bull and Finch. It's very popular, and you'll see it. And it's a great place. It's a, an iconic place. And then Michelle is familiar with the North End. When I was there, and I don't know, I would think the restaurant is still open. Uh, it was a seafood place called Mare on the North End. The north end is where all the restaurants are. Yeah. And Italian part of town. Just walk up and down the road and every restaurant because they're all so good. They have to compete to stay in business. So they're all really good. And I really I'm a seafood guy, especially up there in the northeast. So I went to Mare. And then what's that the bakery called? Do you remember the name of the bakery? Is it Mike's Cannolis? That's Mike's Cannolis. Mike's yeah, there Pastry. you go. Pastry, okay. Yeah, you got to get a cannoli. Yeah, you have to wait in line to go when you go to Mike's, but it's worth the wait. You need cash there, too. Okay, good point. Thanks, Emily. There's actually, uh, hold on, stand by, cannoli spot north end. We are hitting the Google machine because Mike's is amazing, but there's, there's actually another one, modern pastry. Okay. I prefer modern pastry over Mike's. Is that also in the north end? It is. The bo- they're both on Hanover Street. Great. Um, you can't go wrong with either one, but... It seems like Mike's is the one that everyone's going to tell you to go to. If you go to Modern Pastry, it's also as good. You got to go to Regina and get some pizza. It's the best pizza in Boston. Go to Regina. Again, the line will be long, but it is worth it. Okay, so Regina Pizza, Mike's Pastry, Modern Pastry, and Seafood Mare, which is more of an upscale, but absolutely, totally worth it. There you go. All right, let's do one more here. Dear Uncle Randy, I'm taking my six-year-old son to the Brewers game Thursday and the Cubs game on Friday. Any advice for the Milwaukee and Chicago trip with the six-year-old? Okay, I'm not going to advise any bars. No, definitely not. But you can find, especially in Chicago, go have some pizza with the six-year-old. Uh, Milwaukee, I'm not as familiar with, but well, Milwaukee is. Brad and Danny always talk about what a great sneaky town Milwaukee is. So it's a pretty cool downtown to walk around. So you can have fun there. And so, what are the days here for Milwaukee? It is. Let me pull this back up. Brewers game Thursday, Cubs game Friday. Okay. Uh, if you can do it, and you can pull it off before the Brewers game. It's a short drive over to Kohler and Whistling Straits to walk around during the Ryder Cup, uh, during uh, the, the first round there, and you can have a great time. I don't know what the ticket availability or price will be, but if you're looking for something that's a bucket list item that you'll only get the opportunity to do once, take advantage of that. Otherwise, if you're going to just drive up and get there in the afternoon, just walk around downtown before you go to the game. And then uh, the the ballpark is a little bit detached, a little bit detached from downtown, but uh, you'll be able to get there. And then Chicago, you can't go wrong. Just uh, you you can walk up and down Michigan Avenue and you'll have a great time. Go to the Giordano's on Rush Street. Uh, Again, a little bit of a wait, but worth it if you like, like Michelle doesn't, uh, Chicago-style pizza. Mm -hmm. But you'll have a great time there. Yeah. And take the train. Take the L train. If you're staying downtown, take the L over to Wrigley Field, and the the six-year-old will love the train ride. For sure. And make sure that your child sees the mascots. Make sure that they get, like, a fun souvenir at each stadium so that they have something to remember each one by when they come home. Good place. Also, I wanted to throw one more Boston wreck in there. I had to Google it because I couldn't remember the name. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for a lobster roll or seafood of any kind, go to Neptune Oyster Bar. It's the best lobster roll in New England. Go to Neptune. It's unbelievable. I recall. Again, in the North End. Yep. And there's the harbors right near there. Walk over there, see the water, but go to Neptune. You will not 
be disappointed. Great. Thanks for your texts. We appreciate it. Michelle, thanks for relaying that to us. And have fun in Chicago, Milwaukee, Boston on the first date. Man, it's fun to play Ask Uncle Randy. It's not, it's, this is serious stuff. We're not playing. So we, yeah. we appreciate you. People take your advice. advice. We get yeah. texts all the time saying, thank you, Uncle Randy. I did, in fact, smile at the world and the world smile, smiled back. I did, in fact, talk to that girl on my way home from work. And now we're going to dinner on Friday. You know, people text these things in all the time. So we, we appreciate that. Coming up, the Blues start training camp tomorrow. Players have to report today. They've got media responsibilities. And we've each got three storylines as the Blues open camp today with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> On the home of the Blues, 101 ESPN, we are going to talk to the Blues president of hockey operations, Doug Armstrong, at 8 o'clock. But right now, three storylines that Michelle and I each have for the Blues as they start camp. And Michelle, number one for me is the intrigue of Scott Perunovich. Can he earn a regular spot on the Blues blue line? He's only 5'9", 172 pounds, but size doesn't seem to be a huge factor these days in the NHL on the blue line. He won the Hobie Baker Award a couple of years ago at Minnesota Duluth. He was the hot top hockey player in the country in college hockey. And the Blues just had their prospect camp. He led that group. He was the captain, had a goal and four assists. He led all defensemen in assists. He was terrific on the power play. And with the loss of Vince Dunn to the Seattle Kraken, it opens the door for Scott Perunovich. So my first storyline is watching him and seeing if Perunovich, who the Blues really like, can earn a spot with somewhat regular playing time on the defensive core. That's a really good one. I think a lot of eyes are going to be on Scott Perunovich in the coming weeks, Randy, including ours. My number one question heading into training camp, I think is the number one question on a lot of people's minds. It's what is Vladimir Tarasenko going to look like and how did this drama maybe impact or not impact this team? We've been talking about the Blues and Vladimir Tarasenko moving on from one another for months now, and there's been no movement on that front. And it seems like Vladdy and the Blues are stuck with each other, at least until Vladdy proves that he's healthy and that we're going to see shades of the Vladimir Tarasenko that we used to see, pre-injury Vladimir Tarasenko. I want to see if that trepidation that we saw from him at times is there, if he's healthy, if he is motivated. And I also want to see how he handles this situation because he's probably going to be asked about it or his teammates are going to be asked about it. You know that Craig Berube is going to be asked about it. And at some point he's going to have to address this. And so I'm just going to be looking at all aspects of this Vladimir Tarasenko thing, how he looks, how motivated he is, how his teammates respond to him and how he answers this from a media standpoint. Michelle, I don't think the Blues ever have effectively replaced Alexander Steen. Granted, he retired last year right before the season started. But a guy that provides energy on the fourth line on both ends of the ice that plays with effort defensively, that's willing to get in on the forecheck, that's willing to display leadership and has a little bit of skill offensively to help out that fourth line as well. Is Dakota Joshua a guy that the Blues really liked last year, by the way, that could step up and be that fourth line energy skill player? Could Mackenzie McEachern become that guy? Could Zach Sanford finally find a role with his size and his speed and his hands? Could he find the consistent effort to be that guy? The Blues need to find that guy at both ends of the ice. 
effort, intensity, leadership. Bozek is going to be on that line. He's going to be fine on that line. Barbashev is going to be on that line. He's going to be fine on that line. Who's the third member of the fourth line that is a difference maker that can help that line at times be the Blues' best line on the ice? That's a good one. Uh, my number two question heading into training camp is all about one Colton Pareko. We've talked a lot about the Blues adding something to their defense, and I keep thinking back to last season, and if you get a healthy Colton Pareko back, you're adding a ton to your defense. He was dealing with that back injury for the most, uh, uh, the majority of last season. He missed 21 games because of that back injury. Clearly, the Blues felt comfortable enough with the back injury to sign him to that eight-year contract extension back in September. Pareko says his back is doing good. The team Team says they feel good about it, but in the world of sports, Randy, I'm a, I need to see it to believe it type girl when it comes to injuries, especially something as severe as a back that can really affect every aspect of your game. But I keep thinking about a healthy Colton Pareko and what a completely different dynamic that could bring to this Blues defense. Michelle, I'm kind of on the same page. Last night, Robert Thomas signs a two-year deal, a 2.8 AAV. And is Robert Thomas going to turn into the player the Blues think he can be? They think that he's a top-line center. They, they think that he has the potential to be a number one center. However, in the last year, his statistics dropped off significantly. In his second year in the NHL, 66 games, 10 goals, 32 points, or 32 assists for 42 points. Then last year, because of injuries, he dropped off to 33 games, only 3, 9, and 12. Now he's got the money. Now he's got the belief in the organization. Now we need to see that come to fruition. Can Robert Thomas be that player the Blues have been telling us he's going to be for several years now? And we should note that he's only 22 years old. But can he, at the age of 22, come into his own and be an impact player for the Blues in 21-22 and beyond? My final question is something that we talked about a lot last season, and it was about this team gelling and finding chemistry. It felt like even halfway through the season and beyond, this team was still searching for something from an identity standpoint. They were still searching for that chemistry, that it factor, that clicking. And it, it felt like it kind of came on towards the end of the season into the postseason, but I'm looking to this team in, in the in training camp, Randy, and I want to see what the new additions, Buchnevich, Saad, you have some subtractions from this team as well. This is a different team. This is not the team that hoisted the cup in 2019. Only a few of those faces remain. This is a different team, and I want to see how they vibe together. Are they going to be able to gel early on and find that chemistry that they need to head into the season? All good ones. And then the other fun thing and interesting thing is going to be, how do the Blues handle the cap now? You brought back, Bo brought back Bozak. You've signed Thomas. You've got everybody under contract, and you're well over the cap. And within the course of a month now, you're going to have to get under that cap. And you're, if you, everybody that you have is on the team, you're going to be about $3 million over. So how does Doug Armstrong and the Blues brass handle that? Storylines as the Blues open up training camp over at the Centene Ice Center in Maryland Heights. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker on 101 ESPN, and it is time for Take It or Leave It. Michelle, our friends to the West in Kansas City, got a world championship in 2015 and have not been back to the playoffs since. Our friends to the North in Chicago got a world championship in 2016, and now their team has been disassembled. Take it or leave it. The cities that hate the Cardinals are beside themselves this morning. Oh, I'll take that. I think that all of Major League Baseball is probably beside themselves. The Cardinals are hated universally. It's not just an NL Central deal. No. People all over this great nation hate the Cardinals. There's been a lot of, oh, of course, of course it's the Cardinals that turn it on. (laughs) Of course it's the team that everybody counted out that goes on a 10-game win streak. It's devil magic, and people hate it. They hate it. They hate us because they ain't us, Randy. That's exactly right. I got a couple of... uh, couple of those on my Twitter timeline last night. It's, oh, of course, the Cardinals are going to show up in September. Right. But I would think specifically if you're listening to us from Chicago this morning, there mm-hmm. might be a, a few people up there that are a little bit more ticked off than normal. Especially with John Lester being a big part of it. Yeah, that's hard. Because I was having this conversation yesterday with somebody, Randy. They were asking me about the hatred between the Cardinals and the Cubs. And I said, it's more of a friendly rivalry. It's a welcome mm-hmm. to St. Louis, welcome to Wrigley, let me buy you a beer, you having fun, high five in the eighth inning, you know, type deal. It's not really hatred. And I said, but I'm also coming at this from the St. Louis side of things. The big brother that has always uh-huh. been on top, save for about a two to three year stretch when the Cubs were really good. But even then it was like, wow, good for you guys. Impressive. That's what I thought. It's never really been hatred on our side of things, but I think Cubs fans feel completely differently about Cardinals fans. They don't like us. They think that we're arrogant. They think we're annoying. They think, oh, here we go again with the Cardinals. So they might be a little bit more upset than any other fan base. And for the better part of 40 years now, for a lot of people's entire lifetimes, the Cardinals have been really, really good and a threat to make the playoffs, whether it was going to the World Series three times in the 80s or going to the playoffs. I believe this will be time number 15 since 2000. It's got to be frustrating for other franchises that just don't make the playoffs as much. For sure. Randy, Ben Simmons has been in the headlines in the NBA ever since the, the playoffs, but he says that he's going to not report for the opening of training camp next week for the 76ers and intends to never play another game for the franchise. Take it or leave it. Ben Simmons, I'm going to break up with you before you break up with me approach isn't really working. I'm going to take that because the Sixers, by all accounts, spent the offseason trying to find a taker and couldn't. That's right. The guy apparently thinks he's a lot better than he really is. He was the number one pick in the draft, so he th- it's easy to understand why he thinks he's really good. Normally in basketball, to be a really good player, you have to be able to shoot. Correct. In, in big moments. Yeah. Or at all. Yeah. But especially if you're yeah. going to be a guy that thinks that you can dictate your Take future like this, yeah. you need to be somebody that when the moment arises, you do too. Yeah. You are uh, You are not Michael Jordan, Ben. You are Ben Simmons. And until you learn how to shoot, you are not going to be that player that you think you are. I just was reading about that last night, and I'm thinking, they already said they wanted to move on from you. They've already publicly <laughs> declared right. that they want a divorce first. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. I just thought it was funny. Come on, guys. Emily, what do you got for us? From the 314, take it or leave it, we would not be in the wild card lead if we still had Randy or Rosarana. Mm-hmm. 
Well, the Cardinals outfield has contributed during this win streak. I forget the exact number that they gave on the broadcast last night, but I, I think it was like they somehow were involved in two thirds of the runs scored during this heading into last night, nine game win streak. The outfield has been very productive. Yeah. I would think a Rosarena would have been productive for the Cardinals, though. He's been pretty productive with Tampa. If he were here, I would think that they would be maybe not having won 10 in a row. The question is, who would be sitting? Would it be Bader? Because Bader is better defensively Mm -hmm. than he is. Bader's an elite center fielder. Carlson is emerging and has numbers that are the equivalent of a Rosarena. And obviously, Tyler O'Neill's numbers now are way better than Randy Rosarena. So it's a good point. From the 314, take it or leave it. The targeting with the ejection is the worst rule in sports. In college football, I'm going to leave that. I think it's a good rule. It, now, there are times where mistakes are made because there was a play last week, and I don't remember what game I was watching, where the defender, his helmet was, he was going down to make a low hit, uh, tackle at the waist. The runner goes down because low man wins in football, and they collide heads, and the defender winds up getting targeted, uh, a targeting penalty and thrown out of the game. So that wasn't good, but there's nothing the officials can do about it. He led with the crown of his helmet, and he got Mm -hmm. thrown out. For the most part, though, it does serve as a deterrent when one player is using his helmet as a weapon against another. The TLE was it's the dumbest rule in sports. The worst rule, yeah. The worst rule. I would think that the the taunting rule is pretty dumb, too. The, the new NFL taunting The new NFL taunting enforcement has uh, really been a big bummer. I would, yeah. I would see you uh, the taunting rule. I would raise you the taunting rule. Yeah, there's some dumb rules in sports. And some of them are just... They're subjective, right? You you never know what somebody is going to call. That's well, like Phil Cuzzy. <laughs> how, how can umpires have their own strike zone? Why not just have a strike zone? That'd be a, a rule. Yeah, that was brutal. From the 314, take it or leave it. Stricker puts Brooks and Bryson together on Friday, and they take all points possible. I'm going to leave it. You think they're separated? Yeah, I think they are. I don't think you can put them together. I don't know if the Ryder Cup is the place to put two people together that need to hash some stuff out. Yeah, it's a gamble. It's a gamble because we saw Brooks had a visceral reaction to Bryson even walking past him, and things have only continued to boil since then. I don't know if I would do that. Yeah. Especially in a game like golf where you need to be so mentally locked in, I wouldn't want to do anything to get these guys off their game from a mental standpoint. And you know pairing them together is just going to cause a big distraction. It's going to be must-see TV. It will. Like, from our standpoint, I would love it. But from their standpoint, if I was trying to put pairings together in order to win something, that would not be the approach I would take. From the 618, take it or leave it, the Cardinals break the record of consecutive wins while in the postseason. So it's 14, right? Yes. I'm going to leave that. 1937, I believe. Yeah. It was in the 30s. You know what? Who thought we'd be at 10? Who thought that we would be talking about the Cardinals being on a 10-game win streak right now? Nobody. But the odds are not great. Who pitches for the Brewers today? I know we've got that here. Brett Anderson. Okay, and he's coming back from an injury. You didn't believe in Jake Woodford last night, did you? I did not. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm still going to leave the 14-game winning streak. 
I, f- I almost feel like we need a Ted Lasso type believe sign in the studio. We need to just hang it up, Randy, that no matter who's going or what's happening, we're going to mm-hmm. believe. We're going to believe in the Cardinals. Yeah. It's more fun that way. Yeah, not, not yet. Not yet? No let's, believe sign yet? Let's wait till the playoffs. So af- after the Cardinals win the one-game playoff yep. and they get to the NLDS, and then we throw up the believe sign? Yeah. All right, done. The rest of the country is just going to hate us. It's going to oh, be so man. good. It's going to be... Hey, let's not, let's not put the cart before the horse here, okay? Let's okay. just take it one game at a time. Okay. It is fun to project, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Miles Michaelis, by the way, against Brett Anderson today. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. Coming up next, we are going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and your president of hockey operations for the St. Louis Blues, Doug Armstrong, joins us with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> It's 8.01 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us. And always great to go to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line when the Blues president of hockey operations and GM, Doug Armstrong, is standing by as we look forward to camp officially starting today with players in for medicals and media and other things. Army, it's great to have you with us. How excited are you about getting this camp underway? Oh, very excited. It, uh, this is one of the favorite days of the year when uh, you reconnect and uh, hope springs eternal and you get back to work. And we were all worried about Robert Thomas perhaps missing the opening of camp. It was good to get him under contract last night. Yeah, it was. It, uh, some of these things get done quicker. Some take a little bit of time. But Robert put in a great summer. He came back here early August and has been training with our guys and skating. He looks in fantastic shape. And uh, he's still so young at uh, 21 or 22 years old. So he's got uh, a great future ahead of him. And we're glad to have him signed up for a couple of years. And he can just now con- uh, concern himself and work on hockey and uh, become the player that we know he wants to be and we think he can become. Army, you mentioned that it's time to get back to work, but you've been working since the season wrapped up. And an offseason is always difficult. The puzzle is always difficult to put together from a financial standpoint. But how difficult has this offseason been trying to put that puzzle together with so moving, so many moving parts as compared to other offseasons? Uh, this, this one was a little uh, more complex than ones in the past, and I, I think it's only going to uh, – um, it's, it's going to stay that way until the NHL and the NHLPA become whole from this pandemic. Uh, the flat cap is, is something that we have to, just to get our arms around, it may increase by a million dollars or so each year for the next few years, but it's going to be relatively flat, and you see the contracts that some of the young defensemen got in the NHL this year, so um, you know they're, they're still having to, to slice up the, the, the pie that's the same size and not growing for a while. So it, it's going to be interesting. And uh, I felt a little bit this summer, and I think it's, not, it's only going to get a little more uh, interesting, not easier uh, next year and the year after that. Army, as fans, sometimes we just assume that players are going to be able to play well together. Heck, when the Blues got Wayne Gretzky, we thought, oh, Gretzky and Hall, and they, they just couldn't mesh. I would guess one of the things you want to see as you start a camp is how guys like Saad and Bush fit together with the personnel that you already have. That's exactly it. Uh, you, you have a vision when you make trades or when you talk to the coach about uh, potential blind combinations and uh, it just it doesn't take. And So really the way the NHL works now is you try and work in pairs, uh, usually with a centerman or a right or a left winger, uh, and then the other side sort of fluctuates. And that, I know players would rather have just a, a 
consistent line. But what you see most teams doing now is working with the centerman and one winger, and then those other guys fluctuate around that. And that seems to be the norm right, right now. Uh, our centermen are we, we like our depth and center with O'Reilly, Shen, Thomas. Uh, Bozak, you know, potentially Barbershev can go in there. So we like to find some chemistry with each of these guys with one of those uh, one of those players uh, on the wing and then uh, mix and match from there. Army, there's got to be a lot of eyes on Scott Perunovic as camp opens after his play in Traverse City. What do you need to see from him during this camp for him to be considered as a regular? Well, he was fantastic in Traverse City, and uh, you know, I was, you know, you're pulling for everybody, but I was probably pulling for him a little harder just because of, you know, coming out of college and the the way that the rules were were agreed to by the the league and the PA. He couldn't he couldn't skate with us and come into the bubble in Edmonton, so that put him a little bit. Uh, some other players got to jump on that that he didn't get. Then he comes to main camp and gets injured and has to have surgery and he misses that year. And uh, He's put a lot of work in and probably done a lot of uh, soul-searching in the extent that he thought you know, when you when you leave college and you think, okay, I'm going to go right to the NHL, and it's been a long road for him. And he was he was just dynamic in Traverse City, and uh, that was against one level of competition. Uh, you know, there was no Parenkos and Shens and O'Reillys in Traverse City, so uh, you know the level of competition internally is going to increase for him. And then when we start playing other teams, it's going to increase too. But I thought he had a great first step. He was one of the best players in Traverse City, if not the best player. Uh, and, you know, it was great to see. Now we just have to take that against uh, men and pros at a different level. Army, it used to be one of the most valuable commodities in hockey was that big, rugged, aggressive defenseman. As the game has evolved now, is there as much necessity for having one of those guys on your roster? It seems like if you have a good stick, you can play defense. It, it, a, a guy like Bo Meester wasn't rugged or, or or really aggressive, but had that great stick and played defense. Has, has that position change to that level yeah I think now you you want to have you want to have uh, uh, length and width um, you know you look at a player like Bo Meester or Perenko I think you know you everyone would like to have Scott Stevens in, in his prime uh, but open ice hits big hits uh, fighting and, and the way that they control the front of the net is much different right now you have to use positioning you have to use tying up the stick before it was just a you know, a lower lumbar cross check to see if you could get the guy out of there. And that, that's, that's gone now. So I think the, the position is evolved, but I still think if you have a rangy defenseman, I look at the way that uh, Tampa built their team and we built our team in the past with long rangy defensemen, I think smaller players can have an impact on the game, uh, but you still want to make it difficult uh, to defend against. And, and I always think that size and length is, is, is difficult. So Army, with that being the case, what do you think Mikola can become? Well, that's that's a great question. Uh, we we think he 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 looks like an NHL player to us right now, and we think he he can defend. He does have a little bit of an attitude. It's just uh, evolving that to see how far he can get. But I think he can be one of those players that you're talking about that can can eat up minutes, can kill penalties, can play against other teams' top players, um, and and can be be difficult to to, to play against. I, I think he has a very good future here, and uh, but the future has to be right now for him and Wallman and some of these players. Uh, uh, it, it's a catch twenty two where you, you know, you have you have half your your group, half your fan base says play the young players, and their half say, well, these guys are too young, play the vets. <laughs> Why well, get trade for a vet? So, but uh, at some point, you just have to 
take away the safety net and then put these players out there right now. Uh, you know, I, I look at our, I look at our defense and we have Walman and we have Mikla that, that uh, we think are going to make our team. And now a guy like Perunovic has to go in there and knock one of those guys out. And that internal competition I think is great. Uh, but, you know, I think that some of these young players have to get a chance. Costin up front as another player, and uh, um, youth has to be served uh, in, in today's NHL. Army, when we were evaluating your defense last year, it was kind of difficult because a healthy Colton Pareko changes the dynamics of everything. And I think there's a lot of people during camp that are going to be looking at Pareko. How does that back look? But I keep defaulting to, I don't think Doug Armstrong would have signed Colton Pareko to an eight-year contract extension if the Blues weren't pretty sure about his back. No, that's yeah. We talked to our medical staff obviously uh, extensively prior to that, and, and anything can happen when you move forward. But uh, uh, his his back is healthy, and that's one thing with Colton. You know, he's going to put the work in. Uh, he looks great, and I think that was something that uh, of the injuries that we had last year, that was seemed to be the biggest one to, that we to, to overcome was that we because of Petrangelo deciding to leave our franchise, it opened up an opportunity for Colton, and then all of a sudden the injury happened, and we were sort of. Sw- swimming upstream all year long waiting for him to get back in and he came back in but he wasn't 100 percent. this is a huge year for him i think with uh, uh the contract now in place he can just go in and be that player that we need him to be and i, I really think he's a he's a top he's a top player uh and and uh, a healthy year for colton and will make our team that much better a couple more things for blues president of hockey operations and gm doug armstrong uh, doug i i admit i took Alexander Steen for granted. It was, it was probably because he was here for such a long time, and I saw him be the best player on your team, and I saw him be a, a fourth-line guy, but all the things that he brought to the table, the leadership, the ability to forecheck, the, the effort on both ends of the ice, the conscious defensive play that he brought to the table, and you guys obviously really missed him last year. Nobody's going to be able to bring that level of leadership, but, but in terms of the skill set on the fourth line, who, do, who are you looking at to be a fit like he was? Well, I, I think that, you know, the two line mates he played with, Sunquist and Barbashev, uh, that, that was a very good line. Both those players want to play higher up in the lineup. You have a player like Clem Costin that wants uh, wants to get in there and be a good player. We have a player that, that I've been very impressed with in the summer in Traverse City and, and neighbors that wants to push into that grouping. Um, you know, so I think from a skill standpoint, uh, you, you, need, you, you want your fourth line to, to touch one end of the special teams, either second, second unit power play or a penalty killer. Um, and so I, I think there, there's wide open competition. I think one of the things that you do miss, though, and you, I don't think we, we took it for granted, but the Steen, the Bowmeister, the type of leadership that they bought, uh, it, it's refreshing that no matter what was happening on the ice, they never heard from their agents. You know, they, they never complained. You know, they, they, they just took it upon themselves to, to – you know, to do what they had to do to get more ice time. And I think that's a lost art. I think just in today's society, you know, it, there maybe some people look for easier outs than uh, than just putting your nose to the grindstone. So I, I do miss that that type of leadership. Uh, but we have to evolve too. And, and uh, you know, we got some great uh, players here that, that uh, like whether it's O'Reilly or Shen, uh, Perron, Falk, Krug, Pranko, et cetera, they, they need to grab this team as leadership-wise and, and remove all the excuses and understand that uh, for us to have success, we have to have everyone pulling their rope in the same direction. Army, last thing for me, I wanted to ask you about Vladimir Tarasenko. One thing that we talk about a lot on these airwaves is all of the headlines surrounding Vladdy and the Blues, and we wonder if that's going to be a, a distraction at all for the team. We know that he's been in town. 
he's been skating. Are you worried about all of the talk about Vladimir Tarasenko becoming a distraction for your team? Uh, not, not really. Obviously, it, it became public uh, his request to be traded, and uh, uh, you know the, the timing was difficult because again, you're dealing with what we talked about earlier. You're dealing with a flat cap, a player that hasn't played a lot of hockey over two years that that uh, you know commands a lot of uh, percentage of someone's salary cap, and so there wasn't. Uh, you know, the, the market wasn't there that if you had, to, like, if you went back two years ago prior to these injuries and Vladdy said he wanted to be traded, there would be, at that time, there would have been 29 or 30 teams uh, lining up to, to get him. And now, uh, you know, just the the way the economics went and the injuries, uh, things changed. So I, I know Vladdy has worked really hard. He's in great shape. Uh, he's been in skating with the guys uh, for the last uh, three weeks. He's ready to go, and uh, he's a pro. And, you know, the, the best way for him to, to increase his market value is to have a great start to the season. And our job is to put him in spots to, to, to be a good player. And um, at the end of the day, uh, if, if he still wants out, once he starts playing well, then we'll, we'll cross that bridge. But right now, he's a member of the Blues and he has to play good and we have to play good. And I think we're, 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 we all want the same thing. Is, and and uh, uh, that's going to be the good part about this is that he knows that the, the better he plays, the more options everyone will have. Army, along these lines, yesterday, Joey Vitale was on the air with Jamie Rivers in the afternoon, and they were talking about uh, things that we don't know about that happened behind the scenes. Here, here's what was – I want you to listen to what they had to say. Keep in perspective here. You know, he asked for a trade, Okay. Everyone asked for a trade. Heck, I asked for a trade. Rivs, you had to have asked for a trade at some point in your uh, career. I, I shot mean, a puck at Mike Babcock to assure myself of a trade. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Same thing. I mean, heck, I was playing for Pittsburgh. We were an elite team every single year, but I feel like I wasn't, you, you, I wasn't being used properly. So guys do that all the time. Army, I, I'm guessing, you don't have to give names, I'm guessing that you probably had a player that won a Stanley Cup for you, or two, or three, that had asked for a trade at some point. Yeah, you 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 need both hands <laughs> to count the number of uh, of players that over time have asked for trades. But that that's just you know, and, and some of it's out of frustration, some of it's out of uh, belief that you you could take a bigger role somewhere else. Uh, economics play into it. You know, you you don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. Like, okay, well, you, you used up that much cap space. Even no matter how good I play, I'm not going to get paid. So there's other things go, that go into it, and, and it's always done behind closed doors. And, and this one got public, but it's not the first or won't be the last time uh, that, that someone asked for a trade. Finally, from a percentage standpoint, how much time do you have to devote to the Canadian team that you're the general manager of as you get ready for the Olympics that the NHL is now going to play in? Uh, it's hard to say. Like To me, they're, they're all intertwined. Uh, I, I did some Olympic work this morning, just getting our long list ready. And uh, uh, but to me, it's not work. Neither, neither of these jobs, quite honestly, are work. Uh, what I do for the Blues or the Canada Olympic team, because they, you're watching video on, on great players or you're talking to other guys in hockey. So my my time is going to be um, obviously used on both. But uh, again, I, I don't think it's 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 work when you're doing something that you can you love to do, whether it's with the Blues or the Olympic team. Well, we're excited about the 2021-2022 Blues here at 101 ESPN. And Army, have a great season. I'm sure we'll talk to you as the season unfolds and enjoy this training camp. 
Well, I want to thank you for having me on. It's great to be talking hockey again with everybody, and we'll look forward to seeing everybody and our fans real soon at uh, the Enterprise Centre. You bet. Take care, sir. Thank you. That is the president of Hockey Operations, general manager of your St. Louis Blues, Doug Armstrong. I am so excited about this Blues season. And as Army said, I can't wait to get back to Enterprise Center and have all the fans there again. It's going to be so amazing. There's a lot of college football stuff going on, especially the USC job. Dennis Dodd wrote about that last week. The CBSSports.com columnist joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A lot of college football news, and Dennis Dodd of CBSSports.com, a native of the area, always has what's going on, and he was actually listening. He said, Dennis is a huge blues fan, so he wanted to hear what Doug Armstrong had to say as well, and now Dennis is with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Mr. Dodd, always great to talk to you. How are you doing this morning? Oh. Dennis dropped, so oh. we will get to him. He's got uh, a story up, by the way, Michelle, about how the college football playoff might not even be voted on in terms of an expansion. Mm. Those necessary to vote on adopting a 12-team playoff may be asked to not even fly to Chicago for a meeting on September 28th because there are so many differing opinions as to whether or not there should be expansion of the college football playoff. I don't I don't get how this is a bad thing, but clearly there are people, and Dennis will be able to tell us, there are people that don't think that expanding to a 12-team playoff is a positive development. From a fan's perspective, I see no downside. Because more fan bases feel like their team has a shot and more teams have a shot at actually winning. Is that where you're going with this? Yes. My only concern is that the disparity between the teams that actually make the playoff and the teams who are in the conversation is pretty vast. A lot of times, even those first two matchups aren't even that intriguing or they're they're not even played that closely. So I just worry that we're going to see a lot of blowouts. That's All my right. only concern. Yeah. Let's see if our Brown and Crouppen celebrity line is working. Dennis Dodd, good morning. How are you? I am good. How are you guys? Everything's terrific. Thanks for taking the time. Sorry we're getting to you a, a little bit late. We had Doug Armstrong on. Yeah. But uh, you had an interesting piece last night about the ex- hoped for by us expansion of the college football playoff and how a vote might not even occur. Why might that vote not occur? This has been going on, guys, since July 21st when word leaked out that Texas and Oklahoma were going to the SEC, and in fact that happened. That's created an instability within the game, a lot of distrust that this was going on behind closed doors, nobody knew about it, and there's just a lot of, let's hit the pause button, there's no reason to do this now. I think it's going to end up at 12, you know, expansion to 12. But right now they're at the point where they don't, they may not feel the need to call the presidents who run the playoff to even come to Chicago next week to vote because that has to be a unanimous vote. And if there's one vote out there that's against it, why do it? Um, and the, the president of West Virginia, Gordon Gee, has said publicly that the playoff expansion right now is on life support. And why is that, Dennis? Because I would think that all of these powers that be making this decision would look at an expanded playoff and it would seemingly point to more revenue. And isn't that what this is all about is generating more money? So what are the negatives to expanding the playoff right now in their eyes? It's it's everybody. It's what we saw 
guys during COVID where you had five different power conferences going five different ways in their COVID protocols. Not only COVID protocols, when are you going to play? How are you going to play? When does it when does the game get canceled or postponed? Now everybody's going to their bunker and saying, well, wait a minute. If the SEC has Texas and Oklahoma, they're going to have all these. They're going to have half the bids in a, in a 12-team playoff. And as proposed, I can't disagree. <laughs> it's not likely, but, you know, what, what if they have four? Um, with all these good teams in one conference, and when, it, when it's said and done, they will have more favorable matchups for television ever in the history of the sport. And it may be that way now because of all the, the good teams they have under one tent. So that's the basic thing. There's some others um, about the contract. ESPN owns the contract for the next five years. I, th- I would say most people involved want to get this thing to market as soon as possible to, as you said, Michelle, uh, get more money for it. But ESPN doesn't necessarily want to give up, you know, their control, their exclusive negotiating rights. So what does that look like? So it, all, it just adds up to just a pause. I think in two or three months we're going to have it, just not recently, just not now. Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports, with us on 101 ESPN. And uh, we wanted to get you on because of the USC situation, firing Clay Helton after two games. What are they thinking? If you're going to fire a coach after two games, why not fire him after last season? That was my question, um, and according to a story in the Los Angeles Times, the administration, AD, whatnot, had made a list of benchmarks that he had to meet, and that all comes crumbling down in the second game this season when they had a terrible showing against Stanford, and they pulled a red cord. But your question is valid. I mean, it's, what, what did you know after two games that you didn't know after six, the end of six years last year so but that being said uh to fire a coach in week two is, is now routine um southern miss did it after week one last year uh there was another example of that i think last year but it's happening yeah, florida state uh, right last year florida well, uh, state with uh with Ta- or no, two mike years ago with Taggart. Mike Norvell was in place with mike Norvell was in place yeah, right but, uh, that's been a couple of years but that's to be expected the silly season where in the eight months from the, the first coach was fired to the time the last coach was hired. So that's not anything new. Well, Dennis, if you were the AD at USC, who would you want to hire for that job? Who do you think is a good fit there? I like James Franklin, the, the Penn State coach. For me, he checks all the boxes. Um, you know, he's Hollywood enough where he'll play with the media. He's got a great personality, recruits aggressively. He's got a great staff. Uh, he knows what he wants to do. He's done great things at at Penn State, um, in a very probably the second toughest division in college football, the Big Ten East, probably next to SEC West, and he's done great things. But the problem is, I, I think USC may be—I don't know what the term is—backing itself into a corner because you can find flaws with almost every top candidate. James Franklin, years ago, when he was winning nine games in consecutive seasons, nine games twice at Vanderbilt. Had a, had a uh, a rape scandal where four of his players were accused of rape. I think one or two went to jail. Whatever you believe happened, that happened on his wall. Um, and I don't know how the president and the administration there is going to look at that. Um, you know, you can find with some of the other top candidates there, they've had stuff. Eric Bieniemy, who his name kind of came out of nowhere, never never been a coordinator, never been you know, a head coach wants a job. And this is years ago when he was a player at Colorado. 
and, and the, the new president, well, not new, a couple of years ago, Carol Fultz came from North Carolina, supposedly put the kibosh on uh, on Urban Meyer when he was at Fox and you know, without a job because she didn't like him for character issues. So how far is that going to go? A lot of people would embrace James Franklin. I think in, in L.A., at USC, uh, they've had some internal things happen there that look a lot like uh, Larry Nasser at Michigan State. Maybe he doesn't fly. I don't know. Dennis, this is kind of a difficult question because every program has their own individual issues. But I look at the USC job coming open and it feels familiar to me, whether it's USC or Texas or Florida State or even Miami. There's so many of these programs that were once powers in college football that were forces that seemingly can't get back. How many times have we asked, is Texas back? What do you think it is about these teams that they can't seem to recreate that magic or or find their footing again to have consistent success? It's really different for each one, and a lot of it has to do with parity. Even though the same three or four schools are going to the playoff every year, there is parity with uh, with 25 scholarships, and that it's it's really really hard to stay consistent. You talk about USC. I started thinking about this. This is a top five job to me, but then I started thinking before Pete Carroll and after Pete Carroll, there hasn't been much lately. Um, and that's what's happened. They got really, really lucky with Pete Carroll. He's a fifth choice in the, in that search back in 2000. Uh, we know what he did. He built a mini dynasty there. Uh, Texas is different. Texas has, I don't know what Texas has. It has a quarterback problem. It can't find a consistent quarterback. And when it does with Sam Ellinger, who uh, has graduated and moved on to the NFL, it can't win big enough with him. It's a it's a culture thing where player, players that have left uh, Texas for the NFL said I had it better off the field at Texas than I did in the NFL. We actually had to work. Well, yeah, of course you have to work. You know, yeah, you're being paid for it. Why is that a surprise? So it's been different at every school. I mean, Penn State was given the worst penalty ever in the Jerry Sandusky scandal. Bill O'Brien stayed for a couple of years stable. Here comes James Franklin. Another feather in his cap has taken it to a new level. A Rose Bowl now competing for a Big Ten title. So it's different everywhere, but the common denominator, I think, is there's just too much parity around, and it's hard to keep anything consistent. Well, the definition of consistent success is Alabama under Nick Saban. And yep. Florida played Bama on the ropes. They ended up winning Alabama, did 31-29. But the next day, Dennis, all I'm reading is Alabama is, is suddenly vulnerable. Alabama is showing some vulnerabilities. But in your opinion, how vulnerable is Alabama really? I think they're vulnerable. Now, look, they play a schedule and in a list where they're going to win, you know, lose one, maybe win all of their games on, on paper. But when you talk about a defense that before season was talked about as the top 10 or the, the, the best under Saban in the last 10 years, that's saying something. Um, after they'd lost six first-round draft choices, after they'd lost every major award winner you can name, and now they're going to be this good. And they got, they got, they got, it was bully ball for Florida for a long time on Saturday. Um, Emory Jones, who no one will confuse with, uh, with uh, John Elway, threw for a career high 181 yards, which was just enough. And they were, they were down 21 to three after three possessions. Alabama just went right down the field. Florida took over the game and lost by two points. They had a chance to tie it with a two point conversion with six minutes left missed. And then Alabama held on. I I think defensively it's a question about Alabama going forward.
Well, it should be fun to watch, and it should be great to watch college football unfold. Here we are. It's, it's amazing. I was uh, talking to somebody yesterday. We're at the quarter point of the season. For Mizzou yeah. plays their fourth game already this week. Yeah, that's right. It goes it goes quickly um, once it gets going, but I'm not complaining. It's nice to see full stadiums again. Yeah, it is. Dennis, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks for your patience, and have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. I will. And one, one thing, Randy, Cubs, how's the view? <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Dennis. <laughs> That's the great Dennis out of CBSSports.com. Ooh, with the throwing the burn on the way out. I love it from Dennis. <laughs> love it. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, the Cardinals did defeat the Brewers last night, 2-1. to one. They're 10th in a row. And we are going to hear from you. We've already apologized to Mo this morning, and you have your opportunity. Next, via the text line 65780 or with your mic drops, it's a day to apologize to John Mozeliak for all of our misgivings about him. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We're going to have a late edition of The Fight today here on 101 ESPN. And right now we are giving you the opportunity, as we did earlier, to apologize to Mo or Shilty or even Jeff Albert, if you'd so desire. Mo, a lot of people apparently sending in texts to uh, to apologize. I'm sorry, you're breaking up. Oh, maybe maybe he just doesn't want to hear it. I'll be sure to speak clearly if, yeah. if we're breaking up. Yeah, you can apologize to Adam Wainwright if you thought he was done, Yadier Molina. If you doubted Tyler O'Neill at all, now's the time, mm-hmm. right? This is the, the circle of trust. You you can really express your feelings here. We're here to let it out. For example, earlier, I apologized to Mo when the spirit of Babe Ruth inhabited Randy Rosarana's body in the postseason last year. I, I said some things. I was upset. You know, I was upset, but Mo seems to be right on the outfield here. So, Mo, I'm sorry. And on the pitching staff, I felt the same way. I was kind of critical. Why the hell are you picking up Luis Garcia? (laughs) Who is TJ? The Orioles cut TJ McFarland. Are you telling me that TJ McFarland's going to pitch at a pennant race? The Orioles cut the guy. John Lester? John John Lester was done two years ago. Jay Happ? Are you kidding me? What do you, you you want the geriatric set? You want the Wheeze kids? Well, it's working for them. They've won 10 in a row. Yeah, so we're sorry. Yeah. We're sorry. Here's a great one from the 636. Dear John, I'm sending you my letter of apology. June came and I didn't believe in you. July came and I didn't believe in you. August came and I didn't believe in you. But then September came and I began to open up my heart and my mind and believe in this ball club. Can we just let bygones be bygones? Can we go back to the way things used to be? Can you find it in your heart to give me forgiveness? I'm all in. I'm faithful to every pitch that is thrown and every swinging of the bat that is taken. I believe in you, John. I believe. Sincerely, Steve. I imagine you were kicking me like a beanbag three weeks ago. It's always about hope, big boy. <laughs> It is always about hope, big boy. It is. But thank you, Steve. I'm sure that feels good to get off your chest. Yeah, definitely. Let's get a mic drop from our friend Cottleville Chris. Hey, Mo. It's Cottleville Chris. I do have to apologize. Um, After, you know, getting Arenado and then heading to the beach and basically taking the rest of the winter off last year, you... uh, you know, you 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 were able to scramble to uh, help us compete for a wild card. Um, 
you know, not the division, but the wild card. So, you know, I really appreciate that. Not much fun, I can tell you that. I'm, I'm sure his job at times is not fun. No, no, not when you get kicked around like a beanbag. That's true. That's true. How about this one, Randy, from the 636? I'm going to apologize to the entire Cardinals organization. I had given up on you this season, and I was over it this season. But now I have changed. <laughs> um, I was wrong to doubt you. I'm ready to love again. Maybe there's a ring in our future. Oh, isn't that beautiful? I think that could happen. Yeah. That's great. I hope we surprise people and make them happy. Absolutely. And they will. I think even... They have. Even after this 10-game win streak, if there was a ring in our future, I think we'd all be surprised and happy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another mic drop. This is Brooks, who joins us. Mo, I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I didn't think our pitching would hold up and our offense wouldn't hold up. This is really how we should have been playing all year, though. So that's a good thing. But the main reason I don't want to say I'm super sorry is because as great as it is that we're finally winning some games, the main reason we're in is because the Padres are so awful that they're eight of their last 25 and they can't just go play 500 ball. Because if they could play 500 ball, we would still be on the outside looking in. But since they can't, I will apologize and say I'm sorry. We're probably going to make the playoffs, but we still need a bat in the offseason. Let's go get Corey Seager or another big guy, big name shortstop. Oh, so the Padres sucking is, has to be part of the equation. Didn't think we'd talk about that today. <laughs> oh, man. These Mo drops are amazing. From the 636, Mo, I cannot express how sorry I am. I once again judged your actions before giving you a chance to prove yourself. You've always been a great GM, and your moves are the right moves nine times out of ten. I don't know if us fans deserve you. And there's a deep drive to left by Castellanos, and that'll make it a 4 nothing ball game. <laughs> See? Focus. <laughs> oh, man. Well, it's at least... We have seen the error of our ways, right? We we can look at the, at least personally, I feel like I can look at a situation, say, okay, it's bad, but then think about it, look at the big picture, like the Cardinals do, and change my mind. The great thing about Randy is he's smart, he's open-minded. I am. Right. Both of those yeah. things are, in fact, true. Yeah. So, we thank you for your, your mic drops, we thank you for your texts, and your apologies to Mo. And if you want Mike Schilt, and maybe even Jeff Albert, Cardinals have won 10 in a row, and they're going to be the wild card, one of the wild card teams. They're going to play the Dodgers or the Giants, and it's looking more and more like the Dodgers for the National League wild card. All right, the fight is coming your way next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman.
It is time for a late edition of The Fight here on 101 ESPN. But we've been busy this hour. We've been busy apologizing to Mo. We spoke to Doug Armstrong. We spoke to Dennis Dodd. So let's get the fight going now. And Matt is going to be Randy's competition today. Good morning, Matt. How are you? Hey, Michelle. I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing awesome. Thanks. Are you a Cardinals fan, Matt? I am. I am. I'm not sure if I'm uh, drinking all the Kool-Aid yet, but I've taken a sip. Why Why are you reluctant to pound the Kool-Aid? Because as you can tell, we're beer bonging it over here. No, no, I hear you. Uh, it seems like they do well at overperforming at the end of the season and eat by and then Maybe it, it makes it so Mo doesn't make a move that I would like him to, but it's easy for me to spend other people's money. Oh, it's the best. Spending other people's money is so fun. So, Matt, <laughs> you are enjoying this ride, but you're not convinced that they're going to make any noise in the playoffs. Am I reading that correctly? That is correct. But when the Blues won the Stanley Cup and the last time the Cardinals won uh, in 2011, I had given up on them and told people to give up. So it's kind of reverse juju. Okay, I appreciate that. Well, hopefully you have some good juju today heading into this fight with Randy. Are you ready to go? Yeah, let's do it. All right, question number one. ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski reported yesterday morning that the Philadelphia 76ers all-star forward Ben Simmons will not report for the opening of training camp next week and intends to never play another game for the franchise. The 76ers drafted Simmons number one overall in 2016 out of which SEC school? Is it LSU, Kentucky, or Florida? Uh, Let's go Kentucky. Happy birthday to former Cardinals catcher and manager Mike Matheny. What team did Matheny make his MLB debut for on April 7th, 1994? Was it the Milwaukee Brewers, the St. Louis Cardinals, or the Toronto Blue Jays? Uh, uh, Let's go Brewers. Okay, making sure that we have that correct here. All right. Question number three, NBA veteran J.J. Redick announced his retirement yesterday morning via his YouTube channel after playing 15 seasons for six different teams. Which team drafted him 11th overall in the 2006 NBA draft out of Duke? Was it Orlando Magic, the Philadelphia 76ers, or the Los Angeles Clippers? It was the Orlando Magic. And who is the winningest NFL coach of all time? Is it Curly Lambeau, Bill Belichick, or Don Shula? Man, that's a good question. Do I get a point for that, Michelle? Sure. We'll put you on the board. Uh, is it Shula or Lambeau? Brandy's going to know this right off the top of his head. Probably. He knows everything. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh... Let's go Shula. Okay. Checking the score and checking that question number two. This one's the answer. Okay. Just confirming. Randy's on his way in. Randy, as you're getting settled, please say good morning to Matt. Matt, good morning. Great to have you with us here on 101 ESPN. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. We appreciate you being a part of the show. All right, Randy, you ready? Ready. All right, question number one. ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski reported yesterday morning that 
Ben Simmons, the all-star forward from the Philadelphia 76ers, he's not going to report for the opening of training camp next week, and he intends to never play another game for the franchise. Mm. The drama. The 76ers drafted Simmons number one overall in 2016 out of which SEC school? I believe it was the Louisiana State University. Happy birthday to former Cardinals catcher and manager Mike Matheny. Which team did Matheny make his MLB debut for on April 7th, 1994? Those Milwaukee Brewers. NBA veteran J.J. Redick announced his retirement yesterday morning via his YouTube channel after playing 15 seasons for six different teams. Mm-hmm. Which team drafted him 11th overall in the 2006 NBA draft out of Duke? I'm going to go with the Magic. And last question, who is the winningest NFL coach of all time? Uh, 342 used to be a restaurant name for Don Shula. All right. Ring that bell, Emily. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. And the other one. Go ahead. Oh, you want that too? You got it, Michelle. Just win, baby. It's for you. Just know it's coming. Matt, you had an unbelievable effort. You got three correct. But Randy just can't stop Megamind. He rolled through this one. He got all four correct and didn't use a lifeline. Randy knew what was up today. So Ben Simmons was drafted by the Philadelphia 76ers, number one overall in 2016, out of LSU. Simmons and Shaq. Mm-hmm. Great LSU basketball alums. Mike Matheny made his major league debut for the Milwaukee Brewers on April 7th, 1994. He was with the Brewers from 94 to 98. The Orlando Magic drafted J.J. Redick 11th overall in the 2006 NBA draft out of Duke. And the winningest NFL head coach of all time is, in fact, Don Shula. Matt, like I said, great showing. I'm sorry. Randy just, this is what he does. He ruins days. He's a life ruiner. He ruins people's lives. That's what he does. I'm over against him, but uh, I'll get a W one of these times. Yes, yeah, you will. You will. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. All right, y'all have a good day. You too. Take care. That is Matt on 101 ESPN. And coming up on today's big thing, more of your ability to kind of just back off the ego a little bit, subjugate yourself, and apologize to John Mosellek and the Cardinals for all of your negative thoughts about him. Your mic drops, your texts are next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Nine oh four in St. Louis on one oh one ESPN character and Smallman and today's big thing is the Cardinals ten game winning streak. They knocked off the Brewers last night two to one. They will play the Brewers again tonight. Miles Michaelis pitching against uh, Brett Anderson. And of course you'll see the game with Danny Mack on Valley Sports. And we want to hear from you because we all probably owe Mo a bit of an apology after Ripping him during the course of the season. Now his team's won 10 in a row, and their magic number is dwindling to be in the NL wildcard game. So we want your text 65780, your mic drop, so that you can say, I'm sorry, to John Mozeliak and the Cardinals as well. Michelle, I'm sure that we've got a lot of people that are being very deferential about what they have said and 
probably saying, okay, Mo, you were right. Yeah, and just be clear. These apologies extend to anyone on the team. You mm-hmm. can apologize to Tyler O'Neill. You can apologize to Yachty. Whoever you feel the need to apologize to, just get it off your chest. This one from the 314. Before the season, it was broadcasted as an easy path to win the division. Now the Cardinals are far from that position. Now it's a championship to go into a one-game wild card. No apology. Raise the standards. Is that right? Hmm. I'm not sure about that. I mean... You look at the Brewers, I don't know that anybody expected the Brewers to have three starting pitchers that were top five Cy Young Award contenders in Burns, Peralta, and Woodruff, and they all are. And I don't know that anybody reasonably expected the Cardinals to lose their number one starting pitcher and to have at one point in the season 80% of their rotation on the shelf. You didn't have KK, you didn't have Michaelis, you didn't have Flaherty. Uh, The only one you had was Wainwright. 80% of your starting rotation was on the shelf at one point. So what was at the beginning of the season, one thing that happens over the course of a six-month season is that things change. Right. The Brewers go out and get Willie Adamas. They go out and get Eduardo Escobar. The Brewers get better. And because of the pitching injuries to the Cardinals and inefficiency, there were some bad pitchers on the staff, too, which is Moe's fault. But I think sometimes we lose the idea of nuance, that there are things that change during the course of a season that allow one team to be better or be a surprise, and one team to be worse and not as good as you expected it to be on April 1st. Yeah, I don't think it's fair to... If you want to talk about raising the standards, I don't think it's fair to hold the same standard when things happen throughout the season. Other teams make acquisitions. Willie Adamas, you mentioned. Jack Flaherty gets injured. Things happen, but uh, other teams adjust. And you can give credit to both the Brewers for making moves and being better than expected and give credit to the Cardinals for adjusting. And and whether it's from an offensive approach or adding pitching, you can do both. You can credit more than one team. Was, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Yeah, a question. Was there anybody, anybody that didn't pick the Padres to be a playoff team in 2021? Everybody thought the Dodgers would win that division. But with all the moves the Padres had made in adding Darvish and Snell during the offseason in building up their bench by getting Hassan Kim and Cronenworth uh, having a full year under his belt. Pretty much everybody expected the Padres to be a playoff team, right. and they aren't because things changed. They yeah. lost Darvish. They lost Snell. Uh, they, they've had injury issues as well. They've had other problems. But the point being, over the course of five and a half months here, things have changed. From the 636, Dear Mo, as a Cubs fan, I'm sorry you have to deal with this crybaby fan base. You've made some great moves the last couple of off-seasons and just can't make anyone happy. I mean, seriously, it's like you won a Nolan Arenado custody battle and the Rockies are paying child support. But you still get no love. Stay strong and enjoy this hot streak while you can. There's still time for your guys to screw it all up. Love, Brad. Not much fun, I can tell you that. <laughs> hey, it's great to hear from Brad. Yeah, thank, fan. You, Brad. thank you very much for tuning in. Let's get a mic drop, shall we? This is Ben. Who's next? I was wrong to doubt you guys. Mo, I was wrong to doubt you. You do love us. You do care about I promised myself I wasn't going to cry, but you're still there for us, and I'm sorry. That's what we like to hear. That's what we were aiming for when we put this segment together. Yeah, just let those emotions out. Yeah, a few tears. Pretty good. I like that. Uh, another mic drop, and Paul is with us. 
I personally don't owe Mo an apology. I have not complained about a single one of the moves he's made. But I'll say that that is primarily because I thought that this season would be used as an evaluation period. I honestly, I'm a realistic person. I'm a realistic fan. I didn't know that this team had this type of ability this soon so if i owe anybody an apology it's the players you guys are right i'm wrong you're good looking i'm not attractive go get them let's go birds far be it for me to jump in on this one. Oh, i will mo yeah go ahead randy this was an evaluation year and the process of evaluating the outfielders went faster than they thought it would they determined that Lane Thomas wasn't a fit for them. They determined that Justin Williams wasn't a fit for them. But they did find out that Tyler O'Neill can play. They found out that Harrison Bader can be consistently in the lineup. And Dylan Carlson is ascending. The one guy that none of us thought at the beginning of the year about, because we didn't even know his name, was Lars Newtbar. Mm-hmm. But now you can go into the offseason feeling pretty good about your top four outfielders. And perhaps even a DH. So don't feel bad that you looked at, and you don't feel bad that you looked at this as an evaluation year. But I do believe that that's correct. The evaluation year that was supposed to be 2020 turned into 2021. Then you go out and make those pitching moves, and all of a sudden you've got a team that can be in the playoffs. Can we get a, an apology to Mike Shilton here? Sure. Because I think a lot of people owe Shilty an apology, too, from the 314. I was at the second Dodgers game that the Cardinals lost with my dad. I said, what in the hell is Shilt doing? My dad said he doesn't know, and neither does Mo. We were behind home plate, and Shilt turned to look directly at us like, I'll show you. They have only <laughs> lost one game since. Wow. I would like to apologize to Mo and Shilt, and also great ears, Mike. We want to thank you. For being the difference in this season. Because if you don't say that about Mike Schilt, he's probably not as motivated to manage this team to the 10-game winning streak. That's right, of course. Uh, another mic drop. Matt, thanks for joining us on Character and Smallman. I'm, I'm really sorry, Mo, but I just I can't give you an apology because I can't take a chance on you becoming complacent and not adding to this team just because of what is happening right now. This is fun. This is great. Um, honestly, there was always a chance for this happening, and that's where you put your cards you placed a bet and that bet is seeming to pay off right now hopefully it continues to pay off in this way for the next couple weeks we make the playoffs but i'm not going to apologize because after this run is over even if we win the world series mo you still have work to do you still have to make this team better. I don't like spending 90% of my year mad at you. I don't like spending 90% of my year wishing the team was better, waiting for them to make a run like this. You can do some things next year that make this team better, and they can be in the Brewers position instead of fighting for a wild card. Uh, I don't know. There's a guy named Max Scherzer who's going to be a free agent. Imagine him with this Cardinals defense. Uh, there's going to be some really good shortstops out there. Imagine them in this lineup. I mean, don't become complacent. And that's been my beef with you all along. All right. We appreciate that. Good, good, good stuff. That was really thorough. Yeah, it was. Well done. So we put this segment together, and I would hope that Mo is appreciative of the hard work that we've done in trying to get people to apologize for some of the things we said. In conclusion, I think you might want to go back to the drawing board. Oh, lovely. So we we worked hard on that. We he did. Went, and so he wants us to go back to the drawing board. And you know what? A lot of, a lot of people 
who are apologizing today might feel differently in a month. But right now, let's ride this while we can. Let's capture these good feelings and ride this wave. It's fun. It, it is, is fun. This is why we love sports, right. because of moments like this. We'll uh, try to get to a few more of these. Coming up, also, we're going to talk about Kevin Kiermeyer of the Tampa Bay Rays. Is he a cheater? We're going to try to answer that question next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Tampa and Toronto may see each other in the playoffs as they battle for the American League's Eastern Division. Toronto has a pretty good chance, and the Blue Jays trying to make the playoffs. And a lot of things happening. The other night in their game, there was a play at the plate. Kevin Kiermeyer, uh, rounding third and heading for home. And here's what happened. And Michelle, when he was out at the plate, Alejandro Kirk, the Blue Jays catcher, dropped his play card on the ground. We, we see pitchers that have a card in their hat, and the catchers have the card as well so that they can be on the same page in terms of calling pitches. Mm-hmm. And the video clearly shows Kevin Kiermeyer seeing the card on the ground and picking it up. Yes, it literally fell into his lap. Mm-hmm. It was right there by his leg on the ground. And he saw it. He grabbed it. He walked away. And the Blue Jays, Randy, are not happy about this. They're not happy that Kiermeyer picked up the card. They said that if there's one card we wouldn't want any opponent to have, it's that one. Wow. And here's what Kiermeyer said after the game. He said, when it was there, I saw a piece. The play happened so fast, honestly. The play happened so fast, I picked it up. I didn't know what it was, whether it was mine or not. They're all pretty similar. And then as I picked it up, I realized it was that. I never even looked at it. I'll say that. But at the same time, I'm not going to drop it or hand it back. I hope they, I don't know what their thoughts were about about it or whatnot. But at the time, I saw it and I picked it up nonchalantly, not thinking anything of it. And I haven't heard anything of it since. Everything was so quick. And after I did, it was like, dang, their scouting reports or whatever it was, was on that on the ground and I grabbed it. Like I said, it got to the point that I'm not going to return it or do that. It's September, whatever. I didn't know what was going on. That's true. He didn't steal this out of anyone's pocket. It fell into his lap. And I had heard that he thought, that it might have been something of his, his outfield mm-hmm. positioning card, right? So then he looks at it and he realizes this is information about how the Jays pitchers are going to attack the race hitters. I wouldn't give that back either. If this is so important, this information, and I know accidents happen, you should have a more secure spot for this. And for to Kiermeyer's point, this is September whatever. This entire game is based on exploiting mistakes of the other team, whether that is a pitch location or a a defensive miscue. This is a mistake made by the other team. Why would you not capitalize on this? Why would you give it back? I wouldn't. If you're in a football game and a coach drops his play card in the end zone during warmups, you pick it up, you take it. 
they're giving it to you. Right. It's not like you stole it. And if Alejandro Kirk is going to be so nonchalant about where the card is, it needs to be in a more secure place. And it's not cheating. It's not stealing. It's something that was gifted to you. And if Alejandro Kirk is willing to place that card in a spot where he could potentially gift it to the opposition, then you have to take the gift. And if you're the Blue Jays, what do you do now? What do you do now that all of this information is basically in the hands of an opponent well, that you might have to see again? He said, uh, Kiermaier went on to say, I keep my card in my pocket. And initially, I thought it could have been that. And then, like I said, I don't remember what I read, but I knew it wasn't my card. Then, at that point, I'm not giving it back. It is what it is. I hope I didn't offend anyone or anything like that. I handed it to one of our other personnel people in the dugout. I couldn't even tell you what happened from that point on. I didn't have a conversation, but I told one of our players, I think I grabbed something from them. I don't even know. It just wasn't mine. But again, you got to a point that I picked it up and it wasn't going. I wasn't going to return it or give it back. That was definitely weird. Everything happened so fast. And it was the scouting reports that their pitchers are supposed to use to attack the Rays hitters. I don't know how, if you're the Rays, you can't change the scouting report. You have the weaknesses of the opposing hitters determined. And I can't imagine that at this point in the season that you're going to decide you're going to pitch guys differently because what you're looking at is what Kevin Kiermeyers or uh, or Brandon Lau or Randy Rosarena's weaknesses are. Mm-hmm. What do you think the response was from the personnel that Kiermeyer handed the card to when they realized what this was? Yeah. When they all of a sudden started looking at the card and they thought, "Oh my gosh, this is how the Jays pitchers are going to attack our hitters. This is." All of their info. Oh my gosh! This is gold, right? It, yeah. it literally is. And again, if I'm if I am the Rays or Kiermaier, I do not give that back. This is a competition, and you, whether as a mistake or not, gave us a competitive edge, and I'm going to hold on to it. And I, I know that there are people out there that are thinking, no, in the name of sportsmanship, you once you realize what it is, you give it back to the Blue Jays, and you win on your own. Well. Number one, Tampa Bay has been doing that already all year long. And number two, if they are going to be irresponsible with what they deem to be valuable information, then it's kind of like finders keepers in in sports. For sure. And I wonder how many teams had a meeting this morning about where people place those cards and how secure Mm -hmm. those cards are, in fact. I'm actually kind of surprised that stuff like this doesn't happen more often, that something doesn't get dropped or or left if it's being kept in a pocket or in in certain places that it could be exposed or loose. Yeah, I wonder, and I didn't see the video closely enough to determine where it was from, whether he was keeping it in his glove or in certainly maybe it was in his helmet, I guess. It's a possibility. But... The Blue Jays have to do a better job of protecting that proprietary information. This is not like somebody going into their computer system like Chris Correa did with the Astros. This is something that was on the ground and Kevin Kiermaier just picked it up. So I just slowly rewound the video, and it's hard to tell because it it comes out of um, his right side, out of Kirk's right side, So, and that's the side that's not facing the camera. So I can't really discern whether it came from the helmet or not, but it almost looks, if you go really slow, like it came out of a lower portion of his body. So maybe his pocket or a back pocket or a wrist or somewhere near there. It doesn't necessarily look like it came from his helmet. But either way, that's not... 
the most secure spot, especially if you're a catcher, right? But I don't know where else you would keep it. It'll be really interesting to see if these two match up in the playoffs, how the hitters for Tampa fare against the pitchers for Toronto. And Toronto's got a lot of pitchers with really good stuff, but if you know how you're going to be attacked, and again, I don't think that the Jays will change the way they won't change their belief in what the weaknesses of the Rays hitters are. I'll be really interested to see how that, if that playoff series comes to pass, how it works out. It'll be fun. How about this text from the 636? It sounds like if Randy drops his wallet, it belongs to whoever finds it. He shouldn't have put it in a place where it could be dropped. This is bad sportsmanship. No other way to look at it. Yeah, and I, I think there is a difference between a wallet and something in sports. Uh, I know that you can look at things in a completely different way than I do, but I look at sports and competitiveness and sportsmanship differently than I look at real life. If somebody drops a wallet, I'm going to try to get it back to them, but that's not winning and losing on a baseball field. I think there's a big difference. Yeah, we're talking, that's just my opinion. We're talking about a competitive advantage. Yeah. Like I said, if if there is any sort of misstep or weakness that you can get a footing on for your opponent, you're going to take it. Whether it was an accident or not, you're going to take advantage of it. And it fell on the guy. It, it, It wasn't like he went into Alejandro Kirk's pocket and took it or into their dugout and took it. It was, it landed on Kevin Kiermaier. So if, if the Rays have it more power to him. Yeah, we're not talking about banging trash cans. No, no, this is different than that. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and I, I'm really interesting to see interested to see how this unfolds because Mark McGuire. When we, we had a conversation with Big Mac about how hitters should know when they go to the plate what they're going to see, they should have done their research. Same thing with a catcher. You think Yadier Molina needs a card to know what the weaknesses of opposing hitters are? No, he, Yadier Molina is doing his prep work, yeah. and when he's down behind the plate, he knows what the weakness is. He, he knows how the Cardinal pitchers are going to attack the hitters. Now, do you have the little card to determine what your signs are? Yes, but I don't believe that Yadier Molina needs a scouting report to determine how to attack the opposing hitters. No doubt, and we're getting a lot of texts. So, okay, you guys are cool with Spygate then. You're cool with cheating. Spygate was an opposition intentionally taking steps to steal things from another team from a strategic standpoint. This was a gift that dropped into his lap that, as he said, he picked up thinking that it was his, that it was was his outfield positioning. He gave it to some member of personnel in the dugout. They realized what it was. It was gifted to them. They did not intentionally take steps to steal information from the opposition. Therefore, I don't think it's cheating. I think it's a mistake on the part of the Blue Jays. It was not an intentional mistake, but a mistake nonetheless. And another thing about Spygate is that there was a very specific memo sent out before the 2007 season that teams should not videotape opposing teams' sidelines because they they had word of it, and the Patriots did it anyway. To compare a scouting report falling onto Kevin Kiermaier with intentionally breaking the rules like the Patriots did and stealing that proprietary information, I don't know how you make that connection at all. That, to me, is kind of preposterous. Me too. Emily? The card flew out of his wristband. I just okay. scrubbed through it real, real nice. finely. So wristband, there you go. Yeah. So it's, uh, uh, I, I get that 
both teams wound up with information that the other teams had. But the the way that the information was collected was completely different. Kevin Kiermeyer didn't try to steal that card. Right. L- look at it that way. The, the Patriots were stealing information, and the Blue Jays, inadvertently or not, they provided that information to the opposition. They did. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and you're killing me, Smalls. It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Before we get to your killing me swells, a lot of people, Michelle, wanting to make the comparison between Kevin Kiermeyer finding that card and somebody losing their wallet or their purse and somebody else picking it up. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, if the person that picks up the wallet or the bag is on video and all over the internet and we all know it and we're watching it happen on on video, then it would be the same. Right. We're talking about a competition here. We're talking about two teams trying to exploit any vulnerability or gain any edge that they can. They're watching video. They're they're doing scouting reports to obtain this information and it's the same thing as trying to discern the signs, right? If you're trying to uh, break down what signs may be called or if a pitcher is tipping pitches, if that information falls into your lap, you're going to take it. Are we saying that teams shouldn't try to look at um, any consistencies as far as tipping pitches or if they see that someone is tipping pitches, they're going to say to their opponent, hey, guys, let's not let's from a sportsmanship standpoint, let's not expose it's that bad sportsmanship. Yeah, it's bad sportsmanship. Let's not capitalize on this mistake that this pitcher is making. No, you're trying to win the game. At the end of the day, you play to win the game. And you, some things in sports you can equate to, to real life. I don't think this one applies. I agree with that. All right, it's time for... You're killing me, Smalls. Randy Lane Kiffin is such an interesting character. And we know that this is a guy, again, like we were just talking about, that wants to win at all costs. So he's on Instagram. And he only follows one person on his Instagram account. It's Arch Manning. That's right. Top-ranked quarterback of the class of 2023 and... Old Miss legacy product, Arch Manning. And I thought that this was a pretty savvy move by Lane Kiffin to only be following one per- person in Arch Manning, who's from New Orleans. And he's going to be at several Ole Miss games coming up. So I'm sure that Lane Kiffin will be showing him, look how dedicated I am to you. I'm only following you on Instagram. I'm making sure the whole world knows that you're the only recruit that I care about right now, Arch. Jim Cruz, in his last year at St. Louis University, did that with a Twitter account, and the only person he followed was Jason Tatum. Smart. Yeah. Didn't work out for him, but no. he, he did it. But yeah, I think that is a really slick move on the part of Lane Kiffin. And Arch Manning knows it, so there's definitely, he knows somebody's paying attention to him. I wonder how intrigued Arch Manning is by Ole Miss. He's got to be. His dad went there. Mm-hmm. Uncle Eli went there. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, yeah, Uncle Eli went there. Mm-hmm. So I would think that there it's has from to New Orleans. Be, yep. There has to be intrigue there, I would think, on his part. And Lane Kiffin being your head coach and co- coaching you up to be a quarterback? That'd be fun. Yeah. It, it certainly wouldn't be boring. Do you think if you're from the South, that playing in the SEC is something that you've always wanted to do? I would think so. Yeah, I would imagine if, if you're from New Orleans, that, that playing in the SEC is probably as good as it gets for you, right? Yeah. Now, if you are Cooper Manning's son, is it cooler to go to Tennessee where Peyton went or Ole Miss where Eli and Grandpa went? It's probably cool either way, but I think it's cooler to go where you think you're going to have the best chance to win. 
Probably not Tennessee right now, then. Probably not. Probably not. Although Josh Heupel, he can build an offense, but I don't know if his quarterback's going to be ready for the NFL. You know, what else is in, in the SEC? Randy's Columbia, Missouri. It's a good play. That would be a really good play. So is Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I would think that they're probably recruiting Arch Manning, too. <laughs> I think he's got the pick of any program that he wants to walk yeah. through the doors of. I think Missouri would be the best fit for him, though. You do? Oh, yeah. And with, why is that? With Drink and the offensive philosophy that Drink has, Drink will prepare him for the NFL. He'll have lots of good receivers to throw to. And uh, last weekend's jerseys were the greatest jerseys ever, Mizzou's jerseys. So he'll be, get to wear cool jerseys, too. The greatest jerseys in Mizzou history? Mizzou history, yeah. Oh, yeah, they were pretty sharp. I liked them. Yeah. So uh, that's just one good reason. There was a, a an older gentleman, a big Mizzou booster, when I was doing the event uh, last weekend with uh, Desiree Reed Francois, who said, we got to get the block M on the side of the helmet. And I said, you know, the only people that they really care about liking the block M on the side of the helmet are 16 and 17 year olds. He said, no, you got to worry about the old men. No, sir. I'm sorry. (laughs) That is not how this works. We need to make sure that these young players coming in think they need to think the swag is cool. They need to think the uniform is cool. That's all that matters. I'm going to Mizzou because they're the coolest jerseys I've I've ever seen. If you're a 16 or 17 year old, that's what you want to hear. Or or if you're talking to a 16 or 17 year old and you're from Mizzou. Yeah. Why do you think so many programs are taking on Jumpman? Because it's cool. Right. And by the way, they did wear the block M on the helmet last weekend. It's not as cool as the the only thing that would have made last weekend's jerseys better would be to have the giant tiger logo on the side. Block M looks like Michigan. Mm-hmm. So do you think that the youngins out there, they would like the giant tiger? Yeah, giant tiger or the oval tiger logo. I would think so. You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, a lot has been made about Aaron Rodgers after that week one loss to the Saints. A lot of people thought Aaron Rodgers was not committed to the Packers. A lot of people thought Aaron Rodgers may even be mailing it in this season, that he might not have been prepared because during the offseason, he was spotted on vacation with his fiance Shailene Woodley and Miles Teller in Hawaii. There was a lot being said about Aaron Rodgers and his commitment, not only to the Packers, but to the game of football. Well, after week two and the bounce back performance, not only from Rodgers, but the Packers in the 35-17 win over the Lions, he went on Pat McAfee show as he does and drop some truth bombs about what everyone's been saying about him. But what's crazy to me is to let one storyline right by a person who has no contact with me and zero uh, zero relationship to that becomes some sort of like narrative that's out there that, that now I somehow don't care about ball because uh, because of my Zen attitude in the offseason that's the bull- I was talking about last night. Who's he talking about? Do you know the one person that he has no contact with? I think Is it he, I think he's just saying in general okay. on a lot of these debate shows, people had brought up the point that he clearly wanted out of Green Bay. And I understand how people could get to that point. You could deduce maybe that he wasn't 100% committed to Green Bay because 
that was out there that yeah. he wanted to leave. So I, I understand how you could come to that conclusion. But he's essentially saying it's interesting to me that people can go on national platforms and come to that conclusion without ever speaking to me, without being in the locker room, without knowing me or my intentions or what I've been doing in the offseason. So I really do see both sides of, of the coin here. It was a different offseason for him because he didn't show up at the offseason program for the Packers and didn't communicate with them until days before training camp and then right. showed up at training camp. But uh, you noted right before the season started, his trainer in California said that, no, he's been doing the same things he does every year, right? Right. So even though it wasn't with the Packers, he was preparing. So I can understand a uh, little frustration on his part. It's always interesting a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who doesn't post every day his off-season workout, he's not po- posting hashtag rise and grind. Or, mm-hmm. you know, we see a lot of things from J.J. Watt where he's doing all these crazy yep. sorts of workouts. And that's fine that he posts that. But just because he doesn't invite you in to his day-to-day routine does not mean that he's not putting in the work required for him to go out there and perform at a high level. And it's just interesting that we saw one set of snapshots from his vacation and jumped to that conclusion that he wasn't training as hard as he should have or maybe wasn't as committed to that training program in the offseason. And he wants people to know that he is committed to it because he wants to play for somebody else next year. That's right. And if somebody, especially somebody with knowledge, and I don't know if it's Schefter or not, but people around the league listen to Adam Schefter. And if he's saying that he's not committed, there are people in the league that might have had interest in a player that would lose interest because it was reported by that guy. That's right. He also revealed to Pat McAfee, you mentioned that he had grown out his hair. I don't think you like the man bun. Not a right? fan of the man bun. You're not a fan? Well, he's growing out his hair not to make sure that people think he looks good. It's for his Halloween costume this year. He's been growing it out for the past year for his Halloween costume. Oh, okay. I can't wait to see it. I wonder what it is. Because that is quite the commitment to a costume that, that you're going to grow your hair out for an entire year so that you look on point. Maybe he's going to be Jesus. <laughs> Football Jesus? Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I was thinking maybe Jon Snow, like a Game of Thrones type oh, deal. Yeah, that'd be a nice play, too. Yeah. Anyway. It'd be good. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. And thanks for your, your tuning in here on 101 ESPN. Hey, you can join BKM Ferrario at the 35th Annual St. Charles Oktoberfest Friday from 4 to 6. Beer, beer, and beer all weekend long with music, dancing, bratwurst, eating contests, an antique car show, and more. Located in historic downtown St. Charles in Frontier Park. Join in on the fun Friday with BK and Ferrario at St. Charles Oktoberfest. Get all the details at 101ESPN.com. We're going to cross things over with Danny Mack. Talk about the 10-game winning streak next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. People have asked where Adam Wainwright is this morning, because normally we do Wednesdays with Waino, mm-hmm. but he is indisposed this morning and will join us tomorrow morning on the program, as will Danny Mack. And we want to give you some tickets for this Red Hot Cardinal team and your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for the Cardinals Brewers on September 28th. Next Tuesday's Budweiser Bash features an exclusive Rick and Keel bobblehead. Winner must be 21 and over. Tickets courtesy of Budweiser and 101 ESPN. Get all the details for next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash at cardinals.com slash 
promotions. And today's question is, to win those tickets, and if you are texter number 44, in honor of Junior Fernandez, texter number 44, and prongs, Mm -hmm. texter number 44, if you can answer the question. We had Dennis Dodd from CBS Sports on earlier. CBSSports.com. Great guy. What team... Big Blues fan, too. Big Blues fan. He was listening on the app when we had Army on. Uh, What team did he diss as he left our segment. What team did he disrespect as he as he said goodbye to our segment? Texter number 44 with the correct answer will win the tickets to the Budweiser Bash. You know, Randy, you said that Wayno is not on today, yes, and you probably need to clarify that everything's fine. Everything's it's just, good. Yeah, he just maybe was sleeping in, yeah. whatever. So, you guys will catch up and we'll uh, hear from Wayno tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yes. yes. I look forward to it. Yeah. And he pitches tomorrow. Yeah. Michael is today, Wayno tomorrow. That's right. And he is on the cusp of 2,000 strikeouts. Yes. Yeah, that's right. He should have had 2,000 here. Yeah. But Phil Cuzzy kind of ruined that. wonder what it means to him. I wonder what that, I mean, he's done so many things, but it'll be he and Bob Gibson as the only two that yep. have ever had 2,000 strikeouts wearing a Cardinal uniform. That's amazing. Now, we've had guys that have gotten... Strikeout number 2,000, so to clarify the difference, but to a whole 2,000 strikeouts wearing that uniform, two guys, Bob Gibson, Adam Wainwright. That's pretty amazing. Remarkable. Yeah. All right, Dan, it's not necessarily the best team. that It's it's the team that's playing the best at the end of the season, and the Cardinals are playing the best. They are, and they're doing everything right. I, I think Mike Schilt is pushing all the right buttons, too, boy. He is... He's been mm-hmm. kind of a gambler like last night. Um, I love the fact that they were running with Tommy Edmond and Newpar that generated offense. And when you have these tight games, and these are the type of pitchers that you're going to see in postseason play, um, you have to find ways to manufacture offense. And they figured that out last night. Um, I-, I loved what he did at the end, walking Yelich. Me too. Yeah. I loved it. I- and, I- I- and people say, well, that's an easy move. No, it's not. Putting the winning run in second base. It's not the easy move. It's a, it's a gutsy move. I think it was the right move, but it takes guts to do it, and he did that. My concern now going forward is the health of Dylan Carlson, if there is something there. Um, because he was double-switched out. I'd pointed out right away on his check swing, it, something just didn't look right. Uh, we're going to have Michael Gersh coming up, the uh, general manager of the Cardinals, coming up at about 10.15 or so as our guest. But um, hopefully it's nothing, and maybe it is nothing. Maybe they just wanted to double-switch out. I wouldn't think that that was the case in that particular spot, and you, you don't really want him going out of the game. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Uh, make sure he's all right. I'm with you on the Yelich move, by the way. I told Randy, scared money, don't make money. And I like that Mike Schilt was managing to win the game, not to not lose the game. Totally agree. And I think we've all seen enough. Even he's compromised right now. Christian Yelich is not the same player that we saw two years ago when he was hitting, what was it, eight home runs in two games against the Cardinals, whatever it was. I mean, (laughs) they couldn't get him out, right? And earlier this year, he burned the Cardinals, too, uh, with with one of those really tough comeback wins and late losses that Milwaukee put on the Cardinals. But um, it's still Christian Yelich. And earlier in the game, he had just lined out to left. He hit a ball hard right to Tyler O'Neal. And I, I think Mike is saying at that point, my guy... On the mound, I have faith, number one, that he's going to throw strikes with the bases loaded. And number two, my guy is going to get out Reyes. I believe in my guy more so than your guy, and I'm going to take my chances with that. And if he gets a base hit, I rolled the dice and I came up short. But 
I did think it was the right move. How remarkable is it that on September 22nd, we're talking about being confident that a Cardinals pitcher with the bases loaded is going to throw strikes? Yeah, right. He might have been the only guy for a while that I really <laughs> trusted in that spot. I, it's a really good point, Michelle, because if if it's Alex Reyes in that spot, I don't do it. I don't think I can. Mm-hmm. I think Genesis Cabrera, I would really think twice about it because he at times can get things get real fast on him and you see the walks. But with Gallegos, I, I would feel more comfortable uh, with him doing it. I do think the Cardinals got to be a little careful now with Garcia moving forward. He's showing a little cracks in the armor. I think we're seeing that. Uh, it was great that TJ McFarland didn't have to pitch last night and maybe you don't have to do that today. But it, it, it's going forward. It's it's going to be interesting how they deploy some of these guys in terms of what their roles are in the final 12 games. But um, to your point, I, I'm with you. I think Gallegos is like one of the only guys that I, I felt comfortable making that move with. And I want to go to a text here. It's, it says, you say it was the right move because it worked out. If it doesn't work, then it's the wrong move. And I told Michelle in our first segment this morning, you pick out a guy that is not going to beat you. And for me, it's Christian Yelich, regardless of the year he's having. Christian Yelich is not beating me, especially when Pablo Reyes is the only guy they have. If Reyes beats me, I tip my cap and say, oh, congratulations on meeting me, beating me. But regardless of what happens with Pablo Reyes, that is not the wrong move. In, in, for that particular instance, yeah, for in sure. not allowing Yelich to beat you. Uh, I understand both ways. I really do. If if a fan said, "Hey, I uh, I can't put the winning run at second, I go. I, I get it. I'm with you. I think you're right in that regard. I also think you're right, though, if you say Christian Yelich is not going to beat me, and I get beat, and I open myself up for massive criticism, which he would have done. And that's why it takes guts. It's it's not May. This is September in a pennant race, and he did that. That takes some some guts. We've got uh, Mike Gersh on the air later on in your show. Yes, sir. The Cardinals general manager. Mm-hmm. He'll be on at 10-15. Looking forward to that. I think he is with the Cardinals uh, in Milwaukee, too. Okay. They, they usually send one of the front office guys uh, on the trip, and I believe Mike is uh, with the team. I'm sure Mo was listening this morning for, for, for all of the apologies mm-hmm. that were coming his way. I'm a lot sorry. of apologies, huh? A lot of I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I am. We did a little I'm sorry, Mo segment yeah. today. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, the moves that they made, man, they worked. They, they worked, so yeah. give them credit. Great job today by our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you. Thank you. And Michelle, this was fun. Good idea. And uh, I'm sorry, Mo. I just, as Dan said, a lot of stuff is working out right now. It so is. apologies. Does it feel good to feel wrong, though? Does it, it feel good great. to feel wrong yeah. about things? So anyway, I'll see you tomorrow, Randy. Yes. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Here's the lowdown on lowering bad cholesterol from Lecvio. Lowering bad cholesterol is hard, but you could do hard. You live through five fad diets. 11 sleep training nights, 9 mediocre middle school recitals, 1 heart attack. And with Lecvio, you can lower your bad cholesterol and keep it low with two doses a year after two starter doses. Prescription Lecvio in glycerin is given by a doctor for people with known heart disease on a statin with diet who need more help lowering bad cholesterol. 
Common side effects were injection site reaction, joint pain, urinary tract infection, diarrhea, chest cold, pain in legs or arms, and shortness of breath. Results may vary. Learn more at Lectio.com or call 1-833-537-8462. Ask your doctor about Lectio. That's L-E-Q-V-I-O. Lower, longer, Lectio. GEICO asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today.